On today's episode of The Dingo Show, Adam Silver has made it certain the NBA is coming back July 31st. We get into what the regular season, or the rest of the regular season, I should say, will look like, and what the playoff format will look like. Great deep dive conversation into there. Then we lead into some Dingo Show questions. You want to send us in some questions? Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Quick Takes there. You either doctor the audio, we'll doctor it for you after here in post-production. So anyways, should be a good one here. The Dingo Show, up next. So for today's episode of the Dingo Show, I'm joined by Cole from BCT Sports. Hello, Cole. Hey, how's it going? Cole, I'd like to start up with a few quick comments that you made on Tuesday's episode of the Hoop Scoop podcast. And then I'm thinking we'll transition again, as we did on the last Dingo Show, into submitted questions from the audience. So Cole, you were talking a bit about the Golden State Warriors on that Hoop Scoop <clears> show. And you discussed how they seem to be primed and ready to be at full strength next year. And I agree with that. A healthy Clay and a healthy Steph plus a high draft pick and confident reserve spells trouble for the rest of the league. However, you mentioned that there are rumors about Giannis, the Greek freak, possibly heading to Golden State in a trade for Clay. I'm guessing the logic behind this is because the Bucks would fear they can't keep him once his contract ends in 2021. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly correct. And also teaming alongside with Clay, considering that Giannis is prospectively looking at a two-time MVP, even though I think LeBron should win it this year. But anyways, he's looking at another MVP caliber season. So they're going to also pair up that number one or prospective number one pick alongside Clay Thompson, which if you're a GM, that's hard to turn down if you know that guy's walking out the door. Well, yes. And wait, well, walking out the door, we don't know that yet, Cole, because one thing of interest to note is how the NBA salary may need to be adjusted post-COVID-19. Revenues are down big time, and although the league is amazing, and, and, you know, I always hesitate to doubt the possibilities of the NBA, namely because of, you know, this league, man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cap space and salary seem to be moved in in a million ways in that league, and I I think there's a chance, actually, that the cap could go backwards based looking at, you know, revenue and income coming in right now. Yeah, and I think... If the NBA does move backward, it's going to be very slight. And the reason I say that is solely because the NBA, unlike the MLB and other leagues that may be sacrificing performances like the UFC, the NBA is going to get all their games in. And right now, the prospective schedule that they're agreed upon to have games back on July 31st, they're actually playing 88 games and then going into playoffs. So with six more games than the regular 82 right there, it, it just goes to show that the NBA is actually, I don't know if they're going to lose that much money in TV revenue as much as maybe the teams will lose money at the box office. Either way, the league still has that chance of losing money. Either way, the cap could move back. Interesting thing to note here, Cole, if you walk with me here for a sec, but this the cap's restructuring could affect, you know, the famous and recent NBA free agency fiascos. You know, the last few summers, obviously really post the 2014 cap explosion and then the 2016 cap explosion. Big name players have seemed to swap teams every year. You know, we've seen many quick super teams formed like the Warriors, the Clippers, you know, the Nets, if you can call them super, the Lakers. 
you know, and obviously in the past, hometown teams could offer much bigger paydays to their players, you know, than the newer teams. You know, they come to mind is Paul Pierce in the mid-2000s. The reason why he stuck around there was because of the cap structuring and how it made sense for him. He could make a ton more money staying in the Celtics versus going other ways. Very true. However, um, to, you know, go back to the Greek freak thing for a second here. If the cap shrinks, I see, I see Greek freak being faced with two options. One, stay in Milwaukee and sign a big deal. Or two, take a big deal somewhere else and end up chewing up like half of that team's cap. You know, like him with a big chunk of it and then the other team being, you know, the everyone else on this team making the other half. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I don't think it's as easy as for him to form a super team in Miami or, or elsewhere. Yeah, and you bring up a valuable point here. And I think the thing with Greek to watch is that he does seem to have um, loyalty to Milwaukee. Jake has said this on the Hoop Scoop. He seems to be a different breed of superstar, someone that separates himself from the rest of the field and on the court and off the court in his ways. I look at Greek Freak, and he's going to get his money no matter what. He's that caliber of player. He's going to get the biggest contract is, that's out there. If he's in the water and he's looking for something to eat, he's going to get the contract. Whether that be Pat Riley or whether that be the Milwaukee Bucks, we don't know. But I will say that if the league does take a step back, I don't think Giannis Antetokounmpo will be affected as much as, say, guys, um, maybe a tier below him. But also is that you're going to see a lot of guys opting into an extra year on their contract, you know? So a lot of those guys like the Paul Georges of the world, the Anthony Davises, the LeBron James, the even if you go in the younger spectrum, if you go Jason Tatum, a lot of those guys are going to opt into their contracts just for the fact that it secures them the financial benefits of um, previous cap negotiations, you know? And if you look at a player like Jason Tatum, He's going to get the max, and he should get the max from the Celtics. If the Celtics don't offer him the max and all the money they can, they're being silly. So I, I look at it from two – it's a two-pronged effect. Those who look like and should get paid will get paid, and those who won't will opt in. Well, you look at that. I mean, that's kind of interesting because that, that leads back to, you know, the cap space shrinking and how it might be, you know, beneficial, like you're saying, for these – you know, younger players to stick with the same team that they were drafted by for a little while. That bodes well for strong cores, you know. Teams like Memphis or Atlanta or even Denver and, you know, you think Dallas. They, these, you know, star players on these teams that are younger could think to themselves, hmm, I should maybe think about staying here and not have to worry about, you know, signing somewhere else and having a big deal handcuff, you know, another team from signing my friends. And also it would be interesting to see a team that has a lot of salary um, free and is really – um, impressed a lot of folks would be the Oklahoma City Thunder. They could dish out a pretty good sized contract to a lot of guys that could complement that young team and also Chris Paul around him. Now that's a guy that PJ or that's a team that PJ has mentioned before only had a five percent chance of making the playoffs. They thought. Now look at them; they're in somewhat high seeding compared to where everyone was placing them. They're I think they're at the fifth seed. So I, I think there's a lot to be said about those smaller markets and retaining talent and also getting some key role players that are just shifting along here trying to get get some coin, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, one thing that's interesting is we look back, you know, in the past, as, as the NBA cap has shrunk or, like, been adjusted drastically, you know, you think back to 2009 and 2011, and the NBA developed those hilarious, like, amnesty rules. Remember that? Like, teams were allowed to have one player who, you know, just, like, didn't count towards their salary cap. And, like, the Wizards, for some reason, they signed Andre Blotch, and then the next day they decided that they'd make him 
you know, not counts against the cap or like, I don't know, maybe the Celtics could do that with Gordon Hayward. <laughs> but anyway, you know, I think that'd be interesting too. To yeah, see. and you bring up another name. He's been a hot topic on all these other shows that we've done here for the uh, the Dingo show. But Gordon Hayward, that lucky duck can opt into the same money he's getting now. So that's pretty impressive for him. And he, I, I expect that he will opt in for that final year there. I mean, it'd be dumb not to. If he, if he hit the open market, I see him getting no more than $15 million. All right, so there it is. There's our, our, our opening thoughts there. Cap space, it could be it could be shrunk. We have not seen this recently in the NBA. You have to go back about 10 years from when we saw this change last. And, uh, you know, interesting kind of thing. I feel like it might affect NBA free agency. The NBA has for a long time experimented, or I should say researched, what would happen if they moved the season to December, start in December, and then roll through the end of the summer. That kind of roll, that kind of, eliminates the whole NBA summer that we've had the past couple of times where the NBA was a hot news topic in the summer free agency, I, I should say, was that would be obviously pushed back more towards, um, I, I'm, I suppose, October, November, when, you know, you get more media, media uh, coverage on football and college football and different things like that. The NBA is always thinking of these interesting things. Yeah, and to further speak of that, the NBA came out and said today, that the NBA draft will be on October 15th and that the lottery will take place on August 25th. So that gives us two indications in that this season will obviously be pushed back, right? And so going furthermore, Adam Silver has discussed the particular starting date of December 1st, which then could lead into a great Christmas Day perspective. And so that the preseason games would start December 1st, regular season December 25th. Okay, so a lot of questions uh, we got to get to. So, Cole, we may want to transition over to that. But those are our opening thoughts for today's episode of the Dingo Show. Feel free to submit your questions. Cole, you can remind folks how they can do that. Yes, so go to the Quick Takes Instagram page and send us a voice memo via DMs. It's real easy there. You just press a button and you speak into it. We'll mess around with the audio, or you can mess around with the audio, throw your voice a little bit here, and uh, we'll have some fun with it. So check us out, Quick Takes at Instagram. Excellent. Let's get into the questions. You are now on with the dingo. Hey, dingo. Did you hear that Enos Kanta recently went on a podcast with Chris Fulsberg? Thoughts? Hmm? That was absolutely Okay, so a little background on that question. Uh, Enos Cantor, I believe it was his own podcast, Cole. Um, he basically was asked by Chris Forsberg, uh, you know, how's your motivation been, you know, now that you're away from Boston trying to stay in shape and for the eventual return of the NBA? Enos Cantor said, you know, he's had trouble focusing. He said that being away from Boston definitely has affected his motivation and that, you know, I don't have the direct quote right in front of me, but the gist of it was that... Um, if he was back in Boston, he wouldn't have had his difficult time working out, you know, and that some days when he's on his own here, he's, he's decided not to work out. And basically, you know, just like anyone else would, you know, no carrot in front of him. It's tough to get motivated. But uh, I appreciate the honesty from Enos Cantor there. And I do wonder if he, that he's speaking sort of on behalf of all these other NBA players that are kind of thinking and doing the same thing. So I, I'm not too concerned about Enos Cantor because he's not that big of a cock in the Celtic system. What I am concerned about is Jason Tatum. I follow him on various social media platforms, and I have not seen him work out much more than banging out like a half hour on the elliptical. So I'm a little bit concerned about him. In other news, I saw J.R. Smith 
Anthony Davis and LeBron James enjoying a bike ride throughout L.A., so that's cool that they've been bike riding together. I also saw Nikolai Jokic, and he's lost a lot of weight. We talked about this a little bit on the Hoop Scoop. Make sure to check that episode out. We were joined by PJ. But anyways, he has lost a lot of weight, and for it being a condensed season here and a lot of play in a short amount of time, it would be good for him to lose some weight here. But yeah, I think it's an interesting proposition. If you don't have the facilities in front of you, you don't have basically open access, a lot of these players, A, don't have the equipment to get the job done, and B, lack a lot of motivation in some of those cases. I mean, Giannis Antetokounmpo even said that he didn't have a basketball hoop, which I found preposterous. Don't be afraid about Jason Tatum. He's like, you know, 21 years old. He'll be fine coming back. I mean, he I wouldn't be fretting about him. But, uh, you know, there probably are some guys out there who could be like Sean Kemp post-NBA lockout. Just huge. Mm-hmm. All right, next question. That was absolutely ridiculous. Ahoy, dingo. In every iteration of the NBA's proposed return, the Celtics seem to be matched up against the 76ers in the first round of the tournament. Thoughts on this matchup? I would have liked this matchup if it were April and the Celtics could play on home court. But Ben Simmons seems to be back now, and and who knows? And B could have gained some weight and may not be ready to run up and down the floor just yet. You know, when we last left off, the 76ers seemed like a dumpster fire. Horford had vocalized some issues. The team wasn't gelling. They seemed just like the 2018-2019 Kyrie-led Celtics. I could see the 76ers coming back either, Cole, with two mindsets. One, they could be motivated by the new format. And, you know, they could say, let's play better because we now have a different and unique scenario where everyone is starting fresh. Or they could come back with a different, totally other side of the street mindset in that they think, who cares? I hate this coach, Brent Brown, and this team. Let's give up. You know, if it's the former, I think the Celtics could be in trouble. I don't worry so much about the Celtics cohesion. But, you know, like every team, that home court would have been a big plus for them, especially against a motivated Philly team and no travel um, for 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 the Celtics could be tough as well. But either way, I think I think it's a tough matchup uh, for the Celtics in the first round. But, you know, I see some questions coming up that we'll get into this later that we can dive into, but it may not be the actual matchup. Cole? Yeah, so when I look at the 76ers, they've been plagued by a horrible bench, basically non-existent to make all these roster moves they've had to sell off a good lot of their um, bench. So especially in a context that you've had a lot of time off, you're going to probably have to run people on lower minutes than usual. It's going to be very hard for the 76ers to find a way to succeed in the playoffs in my eye. A team that wasn't gelling before may have trouble gelling now with less minutes, you're saying? Yeah, and I think Brett Brown has been sold out as a bad coach. Even I, I think yeah, he's, he's not bad. He's not a bad coach. I think he's got an attitude problem among his bench his players. I think a lot of times people try to buy in into Joel Embiid, but then Ben Simmons gives a little bit of backlash there. I think Joel Embiid is a, a good locker room guy. I think he really believes in his teammates and really pushes them. And also, another news, it's been uh, rumored that Joel Embiid has lost a lot of fat and been really, really grinding during these months off because he said he wants to hold himself to at least 36 minutes a game. I like it. This could, It'll be a good matchup. And uh, all right, with that, let's dive into the next question. That was absolutely ridiculous. Say, Zingle, can you please further explain the NBA's proposed return and what it means for the Celtics? Yeah, maybe, cool. We, we maybe should have started with this. But quickly, here's the lowdown for the NBA's proposed return July 31st. 22 teams are coming back. There will be eight regular season games that these 22 teams will play. Six bubble teams are a part of that 22 list. 
Five of the bubble teams are in the West. One of them is in the East. Each of these bubble teams is within three and a half games behind the eighth seed in their respective conferences if the season ended in March. Okay, so play that back if you need it over again. But what does this mean for the Celtics? Big deal is that the NBA is keeping the conferences. Because it's not the originally proposed 1-16 to seeding, because the owners voted against that and voted to keep the, the conferences, that really helps the Celtics, keeps them in the East. Because if it was the original 1-16 to tournament, the Celtics would have had no chance. Their lineup would have been Philly round one, Clippers round two, Lakers round three, Bucks round four, no chance. So the fact that they're keeping the conferences is the biggest deal for the Celtics. Also, I see another question up, so I don't want to get too much into this, but I'll allude to it now. The eight regular season games, the fact that there's a little, uh, one more bite at the apple for them to change their seating is a big deal based on how the Eastern Conference is faced right now. Cole, any thoughts? Yeah, so when I look at this, it... I really am thankful that we have the East and West still in there. As Dingo just said, um, that would be a ludicrous matchup for the Celtics to make any chance of a playoff run. So I I think that does help both the East and the West in their regards of retaining a little bit of conference diversity there. And so that was my big gripe that I, I voiced in the hoop scoop. From a basketball perspective, it's fantastic. You get some great matchups. You get everything you want. But from a fan perspective, say you're um, a 76ers fan or you're a Bucks fan or you're a Celtics fan, you really want to see your team uh, deeper into the playoffs than what would have happened if they went conferenceless. Quick takes. Next question. That was absolutely ridiculous. Dingo. I couldn't be bothered to do any research. Why could the Celtics be seeded in this tournament? Okay, great question. Celtics are pretty locked in at the three seed in the East, but they could move up to the two depending on how they play and what we just alluded to, those eight regular season games. This means they could catch Toronto at the two seed. Uh, If they do, that makes their road way easier. They would play the Nets, and assuming that Kyrie and KD have given up on this, that'd be a great first-round matchup uh, (laughs) talent-wise. We could avoid Philly, and they would that Philly would have to duke it out with Indiana, another tough team, because they're only within one or two games of each other right now. And Victor Oladipo would be that much more healthy. Yeah, I don't. I, I should look that up. How he's doing? If he's so, coming. I've been hearing some research from uh, or some murmurs from Victor Oladipo's camp, and that he's made a lot of progress, and this has been a really good time off for him to kind of strengthen up and get back into game shape. Yeah, and back to the Celtics with the original questioner asked. Uh, Moving up to two really helps them. Obviously, playing the Nets better than Philly. From a matchup perspective, the Celtics want to avoid those big teams. And now, hold on. Scott's in the car. Scott? You're absolutely wrong. Indy and Philly are tied, and Miami is with a game, within a game or so of them. Don't worry about Philly yet. Miami and Indy play the Celtics better anyhow. Bye. I disagree, Scott. I disagree. I think the Celtics' biggest issue in Miami is the city. Heat play them hard, but you have to realize that the Celtics have better talent. Indy could be interesting due to the Oladipo possibility that Cole just mentioned, but the Celtics have split with them so far this year, one-to-one. And, you know, last year we were up three-to-one on them. But I feel Philly is a much bigger threat with their size, their length, and and compared to the roster that Indiana has right now. And and Scott, Miami is that bottom seed. they got to even get there first, all right? So we'll, ha- we'll handle you later. Yeah, and when I look at this right now, 
I don't view Miami as much of a an opponent because I think he, they lose a lot of juice from even though their fans are a bit fair weather, but when it is playoff time in Miami, those fans do come out in droves and do give a bit of a raucous atmosphere there. So I think it's interesting when you look at it through the fans' perspective, right? You're eliminating all of that. It's basically a scrimmage. So that goes into an aspect of coaching, and that goes into an aspect of team chemistry. So look at the teams that have a lot of those, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, the Celtics. All top-tier teams have great aspects in those and great coaches and Actually, not great coaches in the Lakers. But um, it it's looks at leadership, too. And LeBron, I mean, he makes up for any coach. That was absolutely ridiculous. Me, Dingo, which teams or styles of play you think will have an advantage in this tournament? Yeah, I was actually listening last week. Chris Mannix was on with Felger and Maz. And, you know, he hypothesized that bigger teams may actually do better in this tournament. Uh, teams that play closer to the basket. He stated that teams that relied on outside shooting may struggle a bit, thinking that, you know, their guys could be rusty. I agree with this take, and the the argument, you know, is also helped by the fact that the two biggest slash longest teams are also the top-seeded teams in this tournament. They've been the best teams all year, the Lakers and the Bucks. So I think it's safe to say that bigger teams will probably have the advantage in this tournament. Yeah, and you also look at um, the NBA throughout the years. That's particularly been the case for any championship roster um, besides the Golden State Warriors. But again, it's a good you, length, though. Yeah, but then again, if you look at Stephen Curry's no shrimp, and neither is Clay Thompson, and you have Kevin Durant there too. That's a pretty long lineup there. So I think I agree with Chris um, Mannix, and I think he's right that length will have to go a long way. So look at a team like the Seventy Sixers, Dingo. Right? They got Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, the one-two punch there. Those guys always get to the basket and always just feast inside the paint. And so the X factor in that scenario is Al Horford. So my question is, can Al Horford be any good coming out of um, this quarantine here? All right, now this wasn't exactly the question, but we get a little prelude into what's being asked next. Uh, Cole, are there any dark horse teams, dark horse play styles that you think translate well to a quick return to action here? All right, so I think a team that slept on here is the Denver Nuggets. Uh, I've mentioned his name before. The Joker looks to be in pretty good shape here. And also, they got guys that can slash to the basket with Murray and friends over there. So I think they're a pretty complete roster. And also, you got Michael Porter Jr. who's made great strides in becoming healthy and actually becoming a great cog in their pretty advanced system by Malone there. So I think coaching-wise, the Denver Nuggets will be in good opportunity to succeed here. And I think they play in a good play style that can favor the run-and-gun play with um, the Joker's great outlet passes and can also play from great from the half court because it's all about diversity of offense, I think, in um, in this this different style of playoff and regular season format here. Okay, this could go either way, but my dark horse team, I think, would be the Utah Jazz. They're a team that has length, and they're a team that also has some explosive perimeter players. I think that that's kind of a, uh, a one-two punch in a tournament like this. Also, their core has been around for a long time, so I think that coming back and being cohesive could be easier for them than other teams. Cole, we got one last question. Let's get into it. That was absolutely ridiculous. Hey, 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 Dingo, what's going on, Nicole? Yeah, yeah, why? So, uh, what are the top four teams that you think at the end of the tournament? I may or may not have the mortgage on the line here. I need to know who's going to win. Who's going to win? I need to know. Okay, so the teams that are in this tournament, first of all, because we keep getting the same questions a thousand times. Milwaukee Bucks, Toronto Raptors, Boston Celtics, Miami Heat, Indiana Pacers, Philadelphia 76ers, Brooklyn Nets, Orlando Magic. That's your eight from the east. 
eight from the West, Los Angeles Lakers, Los Angeles Clippers, Denver Nuggets, Utah Jazz, Oklahoma City Thunder, Houston Rockets, Dallas Mavericks, Memphis Grizzlies. Then the play-in field, yes. Portland Trailblazers, New Orleans Pelicans, Sacramento Kings, San Antonio Spurs, Phoenix Suns, Washington Wizards. If you had to pick four teams from that list, you'd have to go, for me, Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, Celtics. And I exactly agree with that. And if you do have some skin in the game here, um, caller, I think you should make a bet here, a parlay, if you will, that John Wall will be playing in the tournament. What are your what What are these odds you're hearing? I do not know the odds on that, but I will. I, okay, I do know the odds. It's one to two fifty. Put some money on that. All right, look, Cole, we're running up against it, so let's wrap this up here. This has been another episode of the Dingo Show. Looking forward to having some more coming out soon on the Quick Takes Network, and uh, catch you next time. <laughs>